Welcome to the Love Life Church podcast, and thank you for checking us out. We love God, love people, and love life, and we hope this message encourages you and inspires you. Here's today's message. Um, yesterday, I, um, I, I did something, you know, it's not normal of me. I went and crashed a party. I, I heard they were having a um, surprise party, and I thought, oh, okay. Uh, not that it was a big deal. My boys were going to it, and I figured I really want to go to the party because of where they're having the party. And where they're having a party is a place that I've been hearing about that have the greatest tacos on planet Earth. So, yeah, those that know about it, you know, they understand that. Now, I got to go to that restaurant before they're open, thinking they were open. They were telling us they were open, and they weren't open yet, and that really sucked. So I threw a fit, and no, I'm just kidding. So I haven't had the opportunity to, but I figured, hey, if they're all going to be there, me and Pastor Lau will go, and we're not like going for the party, we're going for the tacos. That was, that was wonderful. But the greatest thing that happened was is I got to see Olivia with all the people there. And Olivia, you know, three-year-old, just turned three, um, that has been going through the process of chemo from the leukemia that she's defeated. And just a few days before that party, she went through her treatments. And if you know anything about this stuff, it's demonic, it's evil. It destroys the physical body, and I know this is what they do in their understanding of how to defeat. And, you know, it is what it is, but it is, it's a terrible, terrible thing. And I watched that little girl that's just going through that stuff, jumping, playing, running, smiling as if there's no care in the world. And it impacted me such a way because I looked at a girl that's going through hell that wasn't living it. Yeah, there's ugly times in her life. Yeah, there's pain in her life. But I watched her have fun. That is a massive spiritual truth. It's a spiritual truth that each one of us need to not only hear, but grab hold of it as fast as they can because I want to make things common sense perfectly clear, and that is this. This isn't little child cancer, and it's very soft on the pain because it's not a full grown-up cancer. I want to explain that this is a devastating, ugly, destroying disease that not only it hurts adults, but it's very painful for children. But wait a minute, what is the problem here? The problem is, is how does a three-year-old live as if she doesn't have it and adults live like they have it every day? You tell me. How is it that she can jump, run, play, smile, enjoy life, and go through something like that? But we as adults, we go through a little bit in our lives. It'll ruin our month. What's up with this picture? What's up with our lives? I can tell you the problem. The problem is she don't know better. She don't know that she's supposed to be misery and throw pity parties. She doesn't know that she needs to let everybody know how miserable her life is. She doesn't know that her process of life should be constantly think about the pain because that brings it in the reality. She doesn't know that. 
Why? Because she's a child living a life where Jesus says, you got to come to me as a child. You've got to learn to dream again. You've got to learn to see God's goodness. You've got to learn to let go of the pain and live for today. That's why she's able to. Not because it's little baby cancer, but because she's a child and her mind works differently. It's clean. You see, we've all been brought up, not in these perfect homes, but we've all been brought up in homes that make sure that we understand that life is ugly. And we're taught early how bad bills are and how we can't afford and how this is terrible, how this is terrible, and how this person's rotten, and how auntie's ugly, and how grandma's this way. And we're brought up in a world of where we, we're fresh, we're dreaming of being astronauts, and the next day, an ice cream man. And either way, we love it and we're believing it. And we're looking at life like everything's possible until we start being trained a different way. And those little tidbits of misery start entering into our lives. You know why? Because we're kids, we're supposed to receive. We're supposed to be trained. The problem is, is it's all the wrong way. Parents, here's your opportunity to make a different journey for your kids. Quit going home, speaking evil, negative, ugly. Quit talking about all the things that you're dealing with. That's not life for them. That's your life for you. That's not reality. You know, I wasn't brought up right, and there are a lot of bad things in my life, but there was one good thing that I can tell you. I never knew that we didn't have any money. We always had provision. We always went on a vacation. It wasn't Disneyland. It was camping, but it was family vacation. And yeah, during that vacation, there could have been ugly things that happened, but I can tell you right now, I always knew that we would have food, we'd have clothes. Later on, when I become older and start helping my parents with their finances, I start seeing that they've had two bankruptcies and that life wasn't like that I thought, but they never allowed us to see it. Now, I saw all the other ugly, and that affected me, but that didn't affect me. What am I saying? I'm saying... What are you going to choose to do? Because I'm telling you right now, training isn't based on misery. It's based on knowledge. And a lot of people believe that, well, the kids know it's real and the pressures are real. No, your pressure's real, but you're trying to teach them that's automatic. It's not. A decision made creates the pressure, good or bad. But you can't tell your children that this is just the way life is. No, it's the way you've created it, by your training, by their training, by their training. Our responsibility is to make sure that they are able to stay as pure as possible in the ability to dream and expect to accomplish everything, anything they choose to desire to do. That's our responsibility. Seeing Olivia do what she did, I know that she's going to go through another treatment. It's going to be painful. She's not going to be happy. There's going to be anger and tears. But I know that it ain't going to continue on in her life. 
I know that she's going to be completely 100% free of that, and this thing is going to be history and never remembered again. We need to quit walking a life to where we're dragging around our past, our pains, and things that are so ugly, and it's like we want them to be a part of us, and God's saying, I want you to let it go. I want you to completely set yourself free from this stuff because I've given you freedom. But the choice is yours. He can't make you. It's a choice you have to make. Last week, we watched how the Bible showed us an area where a farmer planted seed in the ground and everyone is expecting all this great harvest, but the enemy came in and planted weeds. And those weeds entered into the good ground and all of a sudden it's growing up and everybody's going, oh my gosh, there's weeds all over the place. And they go, should we tear everything out? Should we tear the weeds out? And the farmer goes, no, don't do that. Because if you tear out the bad, you're gonna rip out some of the good. He said in the very beginning of that message, in that parable, Jesus said this, the kingdom of heaven is like this. The kingdom of heaven is like this. And when you hear that, you need to understand that he's saying, our lives, the lives we're living right now are based upon those kingdom principles. So pay attention when I say the kingdom is like this. So when we understand that, we recognize, okay, I need to pay attention to what he's saying. Not religionize it, not try to, you know, uh, work uh, my experience into it. What is he saying point blank? He's saying, a farmer says, don't pull the weeds right now. Wait till the harvest. You take them all at the same time. Then you separate the good from the bad. Then you separate the good from the bad. He said, that way you get the full harvest. Now, what does that have to do with us? We do what those laborers said to do. We're trying to pull up weeds all the time. The problem is it's pulling up good, too. Now, how does that work? It works by how do you pull a weed? Are you honestly pulling a weed out of your mind? No, you're pulling a thought or a habit or an action out. And when we do that, we pull good out. How do we do that? Because we always see ourselves bad over the good. I hear it, I see it all the time in everyone. I'm such a loser, I'm no good, I've done this, I'm by, and it's bam, 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 bam. And they turn every negative as in that's who they are. And I can look at them and say, yeah, but I've seen this good in you. I've seen this good in you. But see, that's not relevant anymore because I'm pulling weeds out and the good's coming out as well. And that's why the farmer said, don't touch it right now. It's too intertwined. How do you undo that knowledge. And the knowledge is this. Just because you've done bad doesn't mean you're all bad. It might be a major portion of bad, but that doesn't mean you're all bad. What happens is, is what we focus in on when it concerns our lives, because when it comes down to what the Bible teaches, it's all from words that are seeds. And those words that are seed are going to land on ground. And the good ground is going to produce. What is good ground? It accepts the seed. And as long as you accept a seed, it will produce. 
It doesn't matter if it's a bad seed or good seed. Let's define bad seed and good seed. Let's say a bad seed is a broccoli seed and a good seed is a strawberry seed. Let's just say that. If I plant broccoli, I'm gonna get broccoli. If I plant strawberry, I'm gonna get strawberry. The bad and good isn't what the consequence is, it's what the seed is made out of. What is the seed made out of? And if I don't determine good or bad by what the seed is made out of, it's going to enter into the ground. And that ground is going to accept it. And the acceptance of my heart receiving a negative seed will then produce a harvest of that seed. So ultimately, it comes down to my life in, in, in understanding that what am I allowing to be planted and my expectation of the harvest of what was planted? So ultimately, my heart is in control of me. So I can literally start saying, you know what? I'm done with broccoli. I want strawberries. And start planting more strawberries to ultimately they'll overtake the broccoli. That is Romans 12, 2 on renewing the mind. We have to understand how we operate this Christian walk correctly. What is the Bible telling us? What is it showing us? Because it is relevant. It's for right now. But if we don't receive it correctly, we're not going to walk in the power of what this living word is about. So I want to share you, I want to share with you seven keys of start over or starting now. The first key, and I'm not listing keys as far as uh, number one is the most important or anything. I'm just listing seven. But the first key we're going to look at is the ability to make a choice to rejoice. Make a choice to rejoice. Rejoicing or getting happy is based upon a choice in your life. It, does, it just doesn't overcome, and all of a sudden you're like, ha, 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 right? It is a choice. Once you make a choice, it's tied to a thought or an action, and now you're reacting toward that. What God wants you to understand is, is he's telling us, he says in Psalms 31, 7, I will rejoice, now listen to this, I will rejoice and be glad because of your mercy. So what creates the rejoicing for him as far as choice? He says, because of your mercy, your goodness, your mercy and goodness is so awesome. And I'm making a choice. I'm rejoicing because I'm thinking about how awesome you are. Now notice what he says in the midst of this. You've seen my misery. You know the troubles in my soul. Is that amazing? He's saying, I don't feel like it. I mean, in here, I'm, I'm like this terrible life and things are so bad. But you know what? I'm going to make a choice. I'm not going to look at the pain. I'm not going to look at the ugly. I'm going to make a choice to start rejoicing. But how do you do that? Fake? No, you got to think differently. And once you think I'm going to think about your mercies. He said, that's when rejoicing comes out. This is what I do when I go through a process of struggle or pressure, and I'm feeling it, and I don't feel like rejoicing. I stop myself and say, okay, you got to start thinking of something that's going to get you happy. And it totally is not in connection with anything I'm dealing with, so I have to start thinking other things. And usually I relate to God's goodness in my life. 
I start, I start walking around and I look at the church building if I'm praying here and I'm like going, look at this thing. This is the goodness of God. This had nothing to do with man. This had everything to do with God's goodness. Look at this. Look what God's doing. Or I'll be at my house, looking at my house, looking at my wife, looking at my two miracle boys. I mean, it's not hard to start focusing in on God's goodness and to start getting happy. And all of a sudden, I don't feel what I was feeling before. That's simple. I'm gonna make a choice to rejoice. What are you gonna do? See, if you wanna start over, remember the Greek word of Rejoice evermore carries the connotation of starting now, right now. Starting now, right now. And what that says to me is, is God saying, I don't care about yesterday. I don't care about 20 minutes ago. What I care about is right now. What are you gonna do right now? This is your decision. This is your choice. What are you gonna do? Starting right now, starting right now, what are you gonna do? So I'm gonna make a choice. I'm gonna choose to rejoice. And that's what we have to do. Make the choice now. Quit thinking about past. Think about right now. And what is God saying? Choose. Choose, choose, choose. The second thing on how to start now, you have to overcome guilt. You have to overcome guilt. Everybody in here has something that they're guilty about. The problem is, is we don't grasp what guilt is truly, what truly is the emotion of guilt. First and foremost, guilt by definition is something that is good, not negative, all right? Now you might be thinking, no way, man, because guilt is bad. No, no, no. By definition and purpose of guilt, it's to make you better, completely better. In other words, when I do something wrong, and if I'm not engaged in fixing it right away, and my dad or mom or someone in authority gets near me, all of a sudden I can feel guilty. That feeling is for one purpose, one purpose only. Fix why you feel this way. That's all it is. So when you feel guilty, it's not based upon, I did something good, right? You know you did something what? Bad. The thing that you did bad is producing a feeling. And the feeling is to say this. Guilty, fix it. Guilty, fix it. Parents, your children, they're not gonna obey you. They're gonna do something wrong. They feel guilty. Your responsibility is not to bring it into second stage. Second stage is condemnation. Not guilt, it's condemnation. And what condemnation does, it affects identity. And when identity is affected, it affects life completely. And that's the way most of us have been raised, condemnation. Why? Well, because guilt is to fix something, change something. Condemnation is tied to identity. Let me show you a picture. My child messes up. They disobey. They feel guilty. Whatever it is, they've done. I now call them out on it, and I say, you're guilty. They know they're guilty. All right, let's fix it. Let's fix it. What do we need to do? What do you need to do? How do you need not do this anymore? The process is they're supposed to experience that, understand it, and then to move on, all right? Then to move on. Now, I understand because of training and teaching and instruction, I understand that different levels where children are gives them the ability to act quicker or it takes longer to understand not to do it. 
Because you can tell a child, no, don't do that. And they're like going, okay. And then if they're in a high chair, you know they're gonna do it again. It's just kids. They're not like going, no, okay, I'll never do that again. Wouldn't that be awesome? But you know they're gonna go full blown. I could care less what you're saying right now. Isn't this true? So what do we have to do? We have to work with the immaturity to the place where they start understanding. But once they get to an older stage, they know right from wrong. Then they do it, they're caught, they feel guilty. Guilty again is saying, fix this. Now, I can operate in that principle or I can do this. You're guilty, why'd you do that? Okay, well let me explain something to you. You're guilty because you are a loser because you've done this five times this week. And I've told you before, and we talked this about before, and, and you're just as stupid as you You're just, you, you, you don't have anything good. And all of a sudden, what do we do? We take guilt into identity, and we start blasting identity. You've done this. You're this way. You're this way. You're this way. It doesn't matter if you've done it 30 times or you've done it once. You need to understand something. That doesn't matter. What matters is, is right now. And what do you want to do about it right now? See, it's already a proven fact that taking a child and condemning them from all their past failures will not produce success. It won't do it. You can't show me any book that's written by any good psychologist or psychiatrist that will say this is the greatest way of raising a child, making sure that you condemn them for all their past mistakes because then they'll realize they are really bad and they'll change. Show me that book. Show me the statistics on that proof. And I'll tell you, it ain't gonna happen. It's impossible, why? Because you've attacked identity, you tied failure to them, and as a man or woman, child, boy or girl thinks, so are they. So we're wanting change, we're wanting fix, but they can't because we're operating on principles of failure. You always do this, you never do this, you'll never, and you're always, and you always. That is not a talk about what's happening right now, that is a talk that's completely tied to condemnation, which means you don't believe there can be change, otherwise you would not use the term always. Could you imagine if God operated the way we do? We don't wanna do that, do we? We don't want God ever to use the term always, never. He won't. He doesn't do that. How did we become so much greater than God? Because all I know is God's desire and God's will is for us to change and have success. Well, wouldn't he show us that pattern if that was the way? And wouldn't Jesus go to Peter for the umpteen time of him being stupid and saying, Peter, you are an idiot. You're always screwing up. You're always putting your foot in your mouth. You always, wouldn't that be the true statement about Peter? Come on, I mean, am, I, am I talking to the wrong crowd? Wouldn't it be true for Jesus to say, you always do this, Peter, but we will sanctify and holy self. It's okay to say that. It's demonic to say that. It will never produce change. We need to pay attention. If he isn't gonna talk that way, why would we? Right? Are you feeling a little guilty? You should be smiling right now. Anybody feeling guilty? I feel a little guilty. Anybody feeling a little guilty? All right, just smile right now. 
the, the rest of you, you need to feel guilty about, you're lying to yourself right now. You're just like going to a whole different message for me. No, I know a bunch of you feeling it right now, but guess what? Smile, because that means I got something to fix. That's all it is. I got something to fix. I'm gonna fix it. I'm gonna remember. I'm gonna think about this. I'm gonna make some change. It's, that's the way it works. We can't allow guilt to control us. We can't be overcome by it, moving into condemnation. You'll never change. You'll never change. We, we want relationships. We want healthy, successful, loving relationships. And then the seeds of our words are saying, it's not possible because we start using death words. I'll leave you. I'll divorce you. I hate you. Nobody in their right mind would say, I'm going to this marriage, I'm going to this relationship with an expectation of complete hell. I believe we're not gonna make it. I'm still gonna get married, but it doesn't have a chance. No one does that. Why? Because what is our expectation? We want it to be better. But nothing happens out of want ever. Everything happens because you do it. We have a responsibility. You want better, do better, right? Because change isn't change until it's changed. Oh yeah, that's, uh, we say it and it slips off the tongue and it sounds so simple. It isn't simple, all this is very hard. And I want you to understand that this is difficult stuff. But guess what, that's what life's about. I'm not gonna con you with some religious mumbo jumbo and speak Christianese to you and say, don't worry, God will wave a wand, everything's gonna be better. No, it won't, but you need to understand something. It can be, it can be, if you make the choice to. You gotta go through the process of it's a battle, it's a warfare. I'm gonna fight to the finish. What do you need? It doesn't matter, I'm gonna fight to the finish. Whatever it takes, some battles are harder than others. It doesn't matter, it's going to be a difficult time because we live in a life that has opposition. It doesn't matter what you're doing, you're going to have opposition. So what is the key to our success? I say this all the time. I love this teaching by John Maxwell. He gives three points. This guy has so much wisdom in his life on success in life. I mean so much. And he relates three points of a successful marriage. And man, I loved it when I heard this for the very first time. I thought, oh my gosh, bring the three and I know I'll have a great marriage. And he said, the first one is work. It's gonna be work. And I went, all right. Work, I'm hearing you, I can't wait to get to number two. Number one sort of sucks. Number two, work, what? What do you mean work? Well you gave number one work, why are you going over it again and saying number two? And then he goes through this whole process and then he goes number three. I'm like, oh, don't you do it. And what does he do? The third most important key to a successful marriage, and he gives that smile. And he says, work. And I looked at those threes and I go, there's nothing simple in here. There's nothing like, oh, everything's gonna be magical. Why? Because we're dealing with people. And people take work. We can't be overcome by guilt. Number three, never let your tragedy become your identity. Never let your tragedy become your identity. You know, there's a beautiful story in the Bible where something that, you know, when, when, we, when we read a lot of um, awesome stories 
specifically in the life of Jesus. Remember what I said this morning. We're not talking about people that are, quote, Christians. We're not, we're not talking about people that they, they look at Jesus and say, oh, he's the son of God and I'm believing in him. We're talking about a bunch of a society that, yeah, they were God's people at one point, but now they're just, they're just looking at life in these, this religious view or not even no religion whatsoever. It's just plain old, we're, we're existing. Jesus comes on the scene and starts talking to them as if they're all his followers. It's amazing. And so he's walking in, in this area, and this story comes out. It's so beautiful. It's in Mark chapter 5. It starts in verse 25, and it says this. In the crowd, okay, so there's always crowds, thousands of people around Jesus. And it says, in the crowd was a woman who had been suffering from chronic bleeding for 12 years. For 12 years, this woman was just bleeding and bleeding and bleeding. Now look at this. Although she had been under the care of many doctors, she spent all her money and never has been helped at all. The point is this, this lady had her life savings. She had this disease for 12 years, and she's been going to the doctor and just passing out her money, and they can't fix her. They can't help her. So this lady, all right, let's get down to the nitty-gritty of the Bible. Not only does this lady have a disease, but she's also an outcast. Legally, by the Levitical law, she can't even be around people. Is that crazy? She's unclean. See, we won't even read that in there, but that's all there. She's unclean, and she's not healthy. So she's not only dying, but she's lonely and dying. Picture that now. So she doesn't have like this support team. She's all on her own. She's been trying to get help. No help available. So what happens? Someone decides to cross the line and tell her about Jesus. What does he say about her, about Jesus? Does he tell her, the lady that Jesus is so wise, so smart, he has so much understanding of God's word? What, what is she sharing with this lady that's going to make her break the law, the Jewish laws of getting around people? And number two, the expectation of the doctors couldn't even do anything. What's giving her the ability to do what she's going to do? And that is this. Whoever was talking to her was telling her about the miracles that Jesus did. She didn't see the miracles. She doesn't take part in the miracles. Someone told her. It could have been one of her friends. It could have been a relative that literally was healed by Jesus. Either way, they told her that Jesus will heal. He will heal you. He's no respecter of persons. He will heal you. And so she gets enough courage within her, and we see the story where she literally hears about Jesus, and she comes from behind where Jesus is, and she starts pushing through the crowd. This isn't an easy healing. This isn't something simple. She right now is guilty of breaking the law. She right now is moving in the midst of a crowd that is trying to push into Jesus as well. 
She forces herself through these people. We're not talking about a strong woman. We're talking a woman that's been bleeding continuously for 12 years. She can't be this buff, I'm all that wonder woman. She's weak. She's frail. She, she has a, a vision of no hope. She's broke. And right now, she knows she's unclean. But what is this weak, unclean? Woman do. She forces herself based upon a belief that she has. I don't know if you hear. What gave her the power? What gave her the strength? What gave her the courage? Multivitamins? Steroids? Come on, we got to get real. What gave her that ability? A belief, a thought. She said to herself, if I could touch the hem of his clothes, why the hem? Why not touch his shoulder? Why not grab his arm? If I could touch his head, what do you mean the hem? You see, she's recognized who she is. And she knows to get into that crowd, she ain't going to be walking in there boldly. She sees herself breaking through enough to be able to crawl on the ground. Now we're not even talking about a person that's secure in the faith, walking boldly. We're talking about someone that's looking at life and going, I'm gonna get there any way I can, but right now I think the only way I'm gonna get there is if I crawl down there and just touch it. And all of a sudden, boom! That's the Greek. How do I know that? Because Jesus went, who touched me, because he felt power released from him into her. And the disciples that are, you know, they're like the, the crowd control. Come on, get them, get them, get them through. No, the disciples are there. And, and Jesus goes, whoa, whoa, who touched me? And the disciples are going, dude, are you crazy? Look at all the people. They didn't say dude, but they did say, look at all the people. I add, I, I know, I, I get off a little. Here, listen, King James. Dudeth. <laughs> Look at all the people, Manath. They're all over with you, Jesus. <laughs> so here they are. Jesus is going, oh my gosh, power left me. And the woman now is like, you, the, she ain't like, what's up, buddy? Yeah, that's me. I'm all healed now. No, no. She is this and now this. And you know that in her body and what's happened, there ain't like going, oh yeah. Oh, yeah, this is good. Oh, yeah. She's like in shock of what just took place. Jesus looks, and he sees her. Oh, this is so powerful. If I could just touch the hem of his clothes, if I can just touch it, I'll be healed. And when she did it, her bleeding stopped immediately, and she was cured for her illness. Jesus looks at her and says, woman, What's wrong with you, girl? You'll be crawling on the floor and everything. And what are you doing in this crowd? You're bleeding. You shouldn't even be here. You know, see, that is the, the right thing to say in the law and the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all the religious people made sure Jesus understood that he didn't know what he's doing. And they were always there to tell him, 
your disciples shouldn't do this. You shouldn't do this. You shouldn't say this. You shouldn't be this. You shouldn't do this. You should. And that's what the religious people are always going to do while you're bleeding and weak and everybody around you saying, no hope, no hope, no hope. And they're going to say, you deserve it. You deserve it. You deserve it. But my Lord Jesus is up in heaven and he's looking down to us and saying, listen, if you can just press in, if you can just press in and get in there with that belief that I will heal you, Boom, and he turns her and say, woman, your faith. What is faith? Confident expectation. If I could just touch this garment, I will be healed. And faith, woman, your faith has made you whole. What happened? She didn't allow her tragedy to become our identity. She realized that no matter what it takes, I'm going to push myself in. She decided that no matter all, everything about the natural truth was saying, give up, lady, you're going to die. She chose to believe something different. She did what was right in the natural. I'll go here and try to get help. I'll go here, try to get help. I'll do what I can to see what man, what people can do. Ultimately, don't help. So he has to turn to Jesus. And we're not talking about Jesus that's walking toward her. We're talking to Jesus being led away. You see, it doesn't matter what direction he's facing. He's always going to heal. You understand? It doesn't matter. It's based upon what do you believe? What do you believe? See, the power left him and entered her because of her belief. It wasn't, woman, good thing you touched me because if you didn't touch me, you wouldn't have been healed. He said, your faith has made you healed. Your faith. We can look at this and go, okay, I'm hearing you. I mean, my life, is, it's mess and it's been mess for a long time. And we can proclaim 12 years, 10 years, one year, one month. We can proclaim time as in this is what I've been for so long. And we can live that way. And live today from our past and have that tomorrow as well. Or we can believe and not allow a tragedy to become who we are not allow the pain of our past to affect our future. Because see, what I do today matters. My choice today matters. What am I gonna believe today? I'm gonna believe in Jesus that all I have to do is get to. And I know getting to him is not based upon him or the crowd. It's based upon me and my desire. No matter what, if I believe, I'm going to receive. Do you know if she said this? And this is what's so important to understand. Because I'm talking about the Bible. If she would have went to the crowd and said, you know what? I don't need to touch this garment. I just need to believe right now that where I'm standing, that I'll receive his healing. And you know what? She would have been healed instantly. How do I know that? Because there's another story in the Bible where the captain of the guard had a servant that he loved that wanted that needed healing. 
and he sent his soldiers to get Jesus. And Jesus said, I'll come. And he establishes the truth about what he understood about the power of authority. And he said, no, you don't need to come. Just say the word. You say the word, it's a done deal. And Jesus went, I have not seen such great faith, not in all of Israel. What did he just say? He said, a Roman unbelieving soldier had more faith than all the people of God. This takes belief. Where are you at right now? I can tell you right now, we can categorize our Christianity. We can put ourselves on, you know, I've been this and I'm this, I'm this, or I'm not this and I'm not this. We can all do this and we can all write reasons why we don't deserve it, reasons why we deserve. It doesn't matter. The point is, is this. Get to the place of belief and that's when the power of faith is gonna work for your lives. But you've got to believe. And Jesus said, all things are possible to those who believe. Can you believe? Can you believe? Yeah, but no, no, no buts allowed. Can you believe? Started off with a picture. That little girl running, playing, jumping. What's the difficulty and belief in her? There isn't because she doesn't know better. Information. You got a lot of information that's affecting your belief. Do you hear me? Time to get the right information to override the bad information. Everybody bow your heads. Thanks again for listening. To hear more encouraging messages just like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. If you loved what you received, please consider rating it and sharing it with your friends and family. For more information about Love Life and getting connected with us, go to lovelife.church. We love you and are believing God's best for you.